Well, this is all a bit different, isn't it? This and this. Well, good morning, everyone. What a, uh, what a pleasure and a privilege it is to be looking at a passage of Scripture together uh, and to dig a little bit deeper for the important implications that Jesus wants us to grasp. So the passage... Uh, specifically is um, Matthew 19, second half of Matthew 19. And uh, on my initial notes, I'd written the subject was be perfect. That was just uh, how I saw it. I'm now calling it love your neighbour as yourself. But uh, you'll see how that fits together uh, shortly. So this passage, as we, as we read it, uh, Matthew 19, seems quite familiar But as we look closer, we discover that it actually confronts us uh, with some deeper questions, possibly even making us a little bit uncomfortable. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? Indeed, what every teacher should be aiming for, that is to take us from what we think we understand, then stretch that understanding, challenge the status quo, uh, add further perspective and uh, build, hopefully, build a deeper stronger understanding. I was delighted a few weeks ago when Ray Patchett um, began to lay a foundation of uh, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, uh, a foundation which I hope to build on a little bit, uh, hopefully without botching it up too much. So this exchange here in the second half of Matthew 19 uh, is a kind of standalone passage in which uh, Jesus addresses timeless truths about Um, the human condition, uh, some truths which remain just as relevant uh, pretty much in any context today. Of course, the more I thought about what I was reading and the more I understood, the longer my uh, sermon became. Um, And so it is that I plan to work through some of it today and some more next Sunday. So please open with me, if you haven't already, to Matthew 19. Um and uh, be prepared to also flick back to Matthew chapter 5 and we'll also have a little look at uh, Leviticus as we go. This passage <coughs> this passage begins, as many do, with an exchange between Jesus and an individual uh, through which Jesus then confronts a, a common understanding or possibly a shallow understanding of uh, of. Yeah, important information, uh, not just for the individual, but also for those who are listening. A lesson which Jesus then takes even further, often in a more private setting with his, uh, his disciples as he uh, teaches and grows them as well. In turn then, through scripture, uh, Jesus is asking us the very same questions, calling us to think more deeply about God and our commitment to him, but also what that might mean in regards to the sort of life he's calling us to live. Let me just open in prayer. Lord Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, dear Lord, too, that it's not just an empty word, but you back it. You back it through your Son who who explains it and also through your Holy Spirit that enlightens the word to us. Lord Father, we pray this morning that through your spirit you would uh, challenge us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
<coughs> so Jesus is questioned. So we're, um, where are we? Where? Matthew 19, verse 16 onwards. So Jesus is questioned by an earnest young man. The heading in my NIV calls him a rich young man. Uh, and in Luke, the same exchange is headed with a certain young ruler. So the picture here is of a person of influence, a person of means, not just sort of a, a, an everyday labourer. This young man addresses Jesus as teacher, um, which no one seems to question at this stage since we already know that Jesus has amazed the crowds, uh, the leaders and the teachers of the law. Indeed, by now, in fact, the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that might discredit him, um, which uh, they try a few times publicly and uh, we know they never actually quite succeed in doing so. So there's an opening exchange here around the word good where the Gospels of Mark and Luke have the man calling Jesus good teacher. Whereas in Matthew the man asks, what good must I do? Jesus' response in all three Gospels is identical. He says, no one is good except God alone. We already know this about Jesus, don't we? that um, wherever any sort of conversation goes, he's not trying to take any credit for himself or seek glory. Instead, he turns uh, people towards God the Father. In a sense, the uh, young man echoes exactly that, that understanding about what is good. As Ray mentioned in a sermon a few weeks ago, those who are rich in material possessions, those with the means to try and buy happiness and security, often come to the conclusion that they're actually spiritually impoverished. So the young man is quite earnest in asking, what must he do to have eternal life? To which replies, uh, Jesus replies, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. I'm just thinking, I might just quickly read read the passage just for clarity and we'll keep keep walking through it nonetheless which ones the man inquired Jesus replied do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal do not give false testimony honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself all these I have kept the young man said what do I still lack Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So Jesus answers, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. The young man seems to be puzzled. You can just imagine the puzzled look on his face. Clearly he's familiar with the commandments, but somehow the answer that Jesus gives seems a little incomplete. Part of this may in fact be that the rabbinical law at that stage had uh, blown out to 613 different laws and commandments. So in response to Jesus' call to obey the commandments, it's kind of a perfectly legitimate question to ask, well, well which ones? Jesus replies, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, 
You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Five of the Ten Commandments plus love your neighbour as yourself. We'll come back to this shortly, but let's just continue. Verse 20, All these I have kept, the young man says. Has he? Do any of us really completely uh, follow all God's commandments? Jesus doesn't tear him down or try and judge him. Instead, he looks on the man and loves him. Uh, that's uh, Mark's version says he loves him, had compassion on him. Jesus knows what's going on inside each one of us, doesn't he? Yet he still has compassion. Because his purpose here is to teach, not to judge. You might remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 who says, I have no husband. We might be tempted to, you know, judge her and call her a lying harlot. But that's not what Jesus does. It's not what he's trying to do. He's come to shine the light, to teach and to grow people again, pointing us all to God the Father. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Remember I said that Jesus stretches our understanding uh, to new levels while he's teaching? Well, Jesus now answers, if you want to go, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Okay. I say, wow. Jesus has really pulled out the stops now, hasn't he? Up to this point, he's just been sort of drip-feeding with the common understanding, and the man and the listeners are sort of, you know, catching those drips, and then whoosh, he's turned on that tap, full blast. It's a fair bit going on here, so we need to pull this apart a little to get a full sense of what's at stake. Firstly, if you want to be perfect, interesting words. Who in this world is perfect? Jesus began this entire dialogue by saying no one is good except God alone, and now he uses the word perfect. But make no mistake, Jesus being very purposeful here, There's actually a really crucial connection between Jesus saying, love your neighbour as yourself and if you want to be perfect. Let's uh, flick back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We'll just read a couple of verses there and then we'll come back um, for a more in-depth look at chapter 5 later. Matthew chapter 5, let's read verses 43 to 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what Jesus is challenging us with here 
is that simply being nice to those who are nice to us, you know, the old, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, well, it's just not enough, is it? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Do not even pagans do that? You see, we can't just be looking after those who belong to the in-club. This has pretty enormous implications for the ethic that Jesus is wanting to impart here. And I'm using the ethic uh, as as a word here for want of a better word. Um, What we're talking about is a whole-of-heart attitude, a deep conviction of thought and behaviour not just the kind of box ticking as if we're going through some sort of a checklist. In a sense, that's the attitude to the law that was prevailing at the time. We're being called to reach out, not just to stay comfortable and in our own familiar, safe environment. Jared last week and Ray the week before touched on this, and I agree that we in the Western world are particularly vulnerable to that sort of thinking. We'll be addressing that a little bit more next week. But right here, we're looking at the implications of love your neighbour as yourself, where by the time of Jesus, love your neighbour of yourself now included the words, but hate your enemy. Not only had Jewish society of the day dropped the ball in carrying out the whole of heart attitude, the ethic of the law and commandments, but they'd gone a step further away by adding words that actively diminish what God had been trying to lay down through Moses. It reminds me of the book by George Orwell, Animal Farm. Has anyone here read that book? Sound familiar? Yep, good. So it's a bit of a a parody uh, on how communism was working out for the common folk. The animals of the farm... Uh, had finally overthrown the oppressive human beings and they had written up some rules about how they were going to live, rules for all the animals to live safely and fairly together. And they regularly reviewed those rules and uh, until one day somebody looked up and noticed that the words, all animals are equal, now kind of included, but some are more equal than others. While God is trying to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness and oppression, as we saw in Isaiah 61 a few weeks ago, what we're doing when we tinker with God's expectations is that we diminish his decrees. We effectively perpetuate that same darkness and oppression. That's what we're doing when we try to, you know amend God's standards to somehow try and advantage ourselves. What other familiar answer of Jesus um, do you know of that include the words and love your neighbour as yourself? Because it's familiar. Where else does that come up? Come on, come on. Sorry? Very good. Yes, so um, the time when another expert of the law was testing Jesus with the question, which is the greatest of the commandments? 
Mark chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 22, a few pages over. And his answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I feel a, a sort of a sense of relief. We've been released from the 613 rabbinical laws and it's been boiled down to two clear concepts. And we, of course, um, being familiar with the New Testament, we also have the benefit or possibly even the distraction of Paul's teaching on freedom from the law. But is there a contradiction here in Matthew chapter 5? Flick back with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5. We'll have a look at verses 17 to 19. Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 19. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks any one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. So how does that fit together? It's really important to be clear of the context of Paul's struggles with the Judaizers and the circumcision group who are trying to invalidate Jesus and the good news by trying to drag people back under the law and in doing so trying to regain power for themselves. When Paul discusses whether this type of freedom allows us to go and do whatever we want or if we can just ignore how sin works and how this affects other people, what does he say? By no means. Romans chapter 6. So freedom from what the law had become? Yes, absolutely. Freedom to discard God and be hurting others? By no means. There's no contradiction here. It's probably an entire sermon on its own, but uh, what I take this to mean is that love your neighbour as yourself is not something new that Jesus has somehow plucked from nowhere. In Leviticus, God has spelled out exactly how it is that the Israelites were meant to be treating their neighbours. Let's just quickly review a couple of things in Leviticus. That was well read, Peter, by the way. Thank you. So Leviticus, we'll just go from 9. When you reap, sorry, Leviticus 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name. Do not defraud your neighbour or rob him. I'm skipping down here as we go because we've read it before. 
Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. 17, do not hate your brother in your heart. 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord, keep my decrees. So love your neighbour as yourself is not a new expectation. Who is my neighbour, you ask? Thank you for asking that question. Because that's exactly the same question that another one of these experts of the law tried to test Jesus with. In reply, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. And this parable shows us that not only anyone who is suffering is our neighbour, but also that anyone who responds to that suffering even an unclean, filthy Samaritan, when he's showing care and love for another, is being a good neighbour. This would have actually been really offensive to the Jews of the day, particularly the leadership, these experts of the law, who were all about this legalistic checklist approach. So what does being a good Samaritan or a good neighbour look like? Well, what did the Samaritan do? He cared for the man's immediate physical needs in a time of crisis. And then he walked with him the extra mile. Does that sound familiar? He set him up with a longer term plan of care and recovery. He dug deep into his own pocket to cover the expenses. And then he speaks of returning to follow up and make sure that this man is fully restored to health. And I suggest restored to community as well. Who does Leviticus say that our neighbour is? Well, it includes the alien and the poor. Not just our friends and those who are exactly like us, those with the same socio-economic status or that have the same kind of outlook on life as we do. I actually take this to read that our neighbour also includes non-believers. Happy to have that conversation. God's expectations of his children have not changed. God's stance towards sin has not changed. His standard of perfection, if you will, his ethic has not changed. And this is the standard that we're called towards, despite the ominous fact, of course, that in our own strength we can't fully achieve it, nor, of course, did the law on its own achieve it either. What do we notice about the specific commandments that Jesus cites? Let me just read them again. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony... Honour your father and mother. What's significant about these commandments? What's the trend here? Yes, it's out of the Ten Commandments, but um, let's say the Ten Commandments are grouped into two different types. What type is this? Morality. 
Pardon? It's about other people. Yes. So the first half of the Ten Commandments is about loving God and then it talks about how we are to love others. Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10 Do not reap to the edges, do not go over your vineyard a second time, leave them for the poor and the alien. Why? Because that's what taking care of others looks like. Verse 11 Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Why? Because doing these things hurts others. All of these things hurt other of God's children. And this code of behaviours towards others is deeply embedded in the commandments that God passed to us through Moses. So what again is Jesus' ultimate ethic on these laws? Remember I said earlier that not only had Jewish society of the day dropped the ball on carrying out the whole of heart attitude, the ethic of the law and commandments, but they'd actually gone a step further by adding words that diminish what God expects. Let's have a look at what Jesus does to correct this. Flick back to Matthew chapter 5. We'll have a look at a couple of verses here which also sound familiar. We've already looked at verse 17. Do Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Let's skip down now to verse 21 regarding murder. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Or if he says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ouch. Verse 27 regarding adultery. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hmm. What about verse 39? If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then continuing down to verse 43... We've read that already. You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then verses 46, 48. If you love those who love you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... Do not even pagans do that? Verse 48, Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. So not only does Jesus draw the listener back to the original intent of God's expectations, but unlike the Pharisees, he now goes the extra step in the right direction to sharpen the focus, to raise the stakes and to make it really clear how it actually looks um, to love your neighbour as an ultimate ethic uh, between God's children, which is, I read it, all people, not just the favoured ones. It kind of begs the question, brothers and sisters, in what ways do we, have we, 
drop the ball in our lives personally, um, but maybe even as a church. If reading these passages doesn't make us want to ask those questions, then I suggest we're wasting our time. Let's go to the races and have a champagne breakfast. Society, you see, comes up with all sorts of rules and conventions to suit itself, you know, establishing our own standards of morality. We've got plenty of examples today. It's perfectly fine at work to speak of horoscopes and tarot cards and, you know, get out the girly magazines and consult mediums, etc. But if you mention the Bible, then you're reminded about the company policy or education department policy about proselytising in the workplace. At the same time, educational material entering school suggests that it's okay for children to experiment sexually because somehow that's meant to help them grow up as more balanced psychosocial human beings, more comfortable with their own sexuality. How's that working for us then? Rates of self-image issues and anxiety and self-harm have never been worse than they are today. Well, what about, you know telling that little white lie on our tax return. That's all right, isn't it? We could go on, but let's not. What is Jesus' ethic? Don't just blindly do what society happens to be doing. Don't just blindly follow the, few, the, the new rules and fads of the day being blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Ephesians 4, I know, it's a slightly different uh, context, that particular verse, but I like how it describes really well our propensity for new fads and crafty ways. If we're serious about being godly, then understanding what God expects is fundamentally important. And as Ray said a few weeks ago, to fully grasp what Jesus is teaching we need to also fully grasp the Old Testament context of where Jesus gets that teaching. What does God expect of how we treat other people, that is, any of his other children? Well, Jesus has been giving us a fairly deep anchor here in Leviticus as he speaks in Matthew 5 and this passage this morning, Matthew 19. It's kind of fairly far-reaching, isn't it? But I'm a good person. I don't commit adultery. I haven't killed anyone. I go to church when I can. I sign off my emails with God bless, at least the churchy ones I do, when I remember, that is. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. Has he? Have we? Have we really loved our neighbour as ourselves the way God calls us to? Let's pray. Lord Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a living word. We thank you, dear Lord, that it's not just some story of people in another place, but it's the story of us and that you're speaking to us. 
Lord Father, thank you for confronting us with your word. Forgive us, dear Lord, for those times when we've been too busy doing our own thing. I pray, Lord Father, through your Holy Spirit that you would convict us to apply your word right here, right now, in our lives and in our communities and in our families. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.